This program is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you like what you hear and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm. Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one. She packed my bags last night pre-flight. Zero hours. 9 a.m. And I'm gonna be high as a kite by then. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. I miss the earth so much. I miss my wife. It's lonely out in space. Such a timeless flight I think it's gonna be a long, long time Touchdown brings me round again to find I'm not the man they think I am at home Oh, no, no, no I'm a rocket man Rocket man Cold as ice And there's no one there to raise them If you did And all the science I don't understand It's just my job five days a week
You're listening to the Electric Sheep Film Show on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB in London. I'm Alex Fitch, and this is Resonance's bi-monthly show looking at cult movies and eclectic cinema from around the world. The track you've just heard was a bluegrass cover of Rocket Man by Elton John, performed by Iron Horse, which might give you a clue about the theme of today's show, which is, to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the moon landing, we're looking at movies about astronauts, rockets and stargazing. Later in the show, we have a trio of interviews recorded at this year's Sci-Fi London Film Festival, in which director Fint will be talking about Phonotune, Alim Hossein will be talking about After We Leave, and director Marcel Barian, production designer Johannes Bed, and assistant director Caroline Ucht will be talking about The Last Land. However, to start off with, I'm talking to director Sheila McLeod about her film Astronaut, In this movie, which isn't too disconnected from real life and could conceivably take place in a world just like our own a few years from now, Richard Dreyfuss plays a retired civil engineer who, despondent about his move into a nursing home, enters a lottery to become an astronaut on the first manned tourist flight into space. McLeod is best known for her work as an actress, and Astronaut is her first feature following three acclaimed short films. So you've been acting for around 40 years, uh, but in terms of directing, it's a new kind of career path that you've only taken up recently. Were you kind of itching to get behind the camera and become a storyteller throughout your career, or is it a recent um, kind of desire that you've wanted to engage with? No, I mean, I think it's a good question, actually. I mean, I think I was uh, subconsciously itching for (laughs) quite a long time, but... Um, and I actually did a test commercial. I was uh, in my kind of mid-30s, and I did this weird little test commercial mm-hmm. um, and presented it proudly to Whiskers, thinking I'm going to be the new <laughs> commercial queen of the world. And it was a really sweet test commercial, um, and I wrote it and directed it, and I, I just loved the process. I loved mm. it, and I knew that this was something I had to do. But, you know, as as your life takes you, you know, work came along, which was brilliant acting work. And I'm, you know, always going to be an actor, I hope. And, Mm. um, and, and I think I didn't really have the confidence to say, because it's such a commitment when you do step behind the camera. And it and for me, I mean, I probably never suggested it the way I did, but I really went the whole hog. I was, so I went back and I was doing series and series, you know, a bit of theatre, but mainly, tv at this point and i was chatting to my mum before she died and uh god i mean you know way before she died she was still pretty well at that point and i said you know mum, i really i've got it I, it's not enough for me this i've been sitting in a makeup chair since i was 12 it's ridiculous mm. i've got to do and she said look do it and i said well i i you know i'm no spring chicken so I went to university and I went to Kingston University and I started doing a BA in film and creative writing because I wanted to learn how to do it properly Mm. and uh, and then and then I just loved the process so much I loved being at school because I'd never been to university and I was shooting I think Holby City at the time so it was quite interesting timing wise and then I did an and I thought I've got to keep writing because I I love that process too and I and they kept saying you know leave with a leave with a body of work because then you'll you'll be developing that developing that over the next few years and they were absolutely right so I did my masters 
And um, meanwhile, I'd started, I'd directed by this point three short films, I think, and also had done a couple of pro- promos, mm. um, directing and written and produced, basically. I had some amazing help from some very generous people and almost funded myself, too, because um, I was just a mad woman. And, mm. uh, and then, um, and that was really, and then I'd been working on a script since, well, since my mom died mm. um, for years, really. You know, we're talking seven and a half years ago, eight years ago. And uh, and that was really it. And I just, it just the story wouldn't leave me alone. And I don't know if you know the the nemesis of the story, the, um, the genesis of the story. But uh, um, you know, I my mum was in a nursing home, and mm. I um, visited my mum all the time. And in the nursing home gardens, there was this old guy in a wheelchair, and he was always staring up at the sky. And I I went and sat next to him, and he literally wouldn't go in. He was out there. Hmm. It seemed all day. And I just said to him, what is it that you're looking for up there? What do you want? And he said, another go. Mm. And I I felt I was very emotional about my mom. You know, this was her last place that she was going to be. And it's such a journey when you put a parent or a grandparent into a nursing home because it's it's a minefield. It really is. Mm. And so I just thought, and I just sort of, and once I started on this journey and I was doing script courses and continuing to kind of, hone the craft at, and then also at university at that point I just thought I've got I've got this is what I've got to do I have to do this mm. and you know better late than never right yeah absolutely <laughs> well I, I haven't seen um your short film The Great Escape but I'm assuming that was also inspired by the meeting of the old man yeah, staring was, at the stars yeah. so yeah. do The Great Escape and um, Astronaut share any connective tissue or, or were they different ways of kind of exploring similar aspects of the the same idea well, it was, I reckon that actually a friend of mine said to me, because she read quite a lot of my work, she goes, oh, God, you're always writing about death. <laughs> oh, death. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm right. I think I'm writing about escape. And I think in The Great Escape, you know, a, a man has been put into a nursing home. So it is, it is by his own, his only child. Hmm. And, uh, you know, in a short, short film, things happen, happen pretty quickly. And he meets this old guy who points who they've seen a shooting star fall to a to to a field beyond and um together they they clam up they pal up and they run away and this one of these guys uh, they got one of the old guys is in a wheelchair and it was by the um um you know the brilliant actor Ken Colley and Patrick Godfrey played the two brilliant actors I was just so lucky they said yes so it's it's got that kind of um, magical realism in it, which is why they responded to the script. You know, there's a comet, it, it's symbolic, and it's a trigger for escape. And I think, you know, when I was writing, it was originally, Astronaut was originally called The Competition. And when I was writing The Competition, I kept thinking, you know, what is this story really about? Well, it's about love. It's about family. It's about making friends when you least expect them. But it's also about escape, and 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 I think that appeals to me because I'm I'm a real um, you know I'm a real sort of butterfly. I'm always thinking, right, what am I going to do next? You know, I'm a real a typical actor in that sense. Hmm. You know, we're always looking for our next job and where are we going? <laughs> and what's happening? We're not sort of still creatures, and uh, and so that really influenced uh, both films actually. Hmm. Yeah. 
Well, I think, I mean, rather than death, if I was to try and eke out some similarity between all of your films, um, Mm. Run is about a young man who's had a terrible accident which may have hampered his desire to be a professional footballer. Uh, David Mm. Rose is about a young girl who might have met a reincarnation of her father. So Mm. in a way, they're all about kind of um, lost opportunities or the potential for missing opportunities and then taking them. Yeah, yeah, well, that's a very nice way of putting it. And I think, yeah, I'm going to call you up next time I write a script and just say, just remind me what the theme is, because that's, that's exactly spot on. I mean, that's spot on, spot on, yeah. Mm. Um, it's funny around the time that you started your career uh, Richard Dreyfus had just appeared in Close Encounters of the Third Kind which mm. ends with him entering a spaceship but we never actually mm. see him leave the planet so have no. you been waiting 40 years to see what happens next <laughs> <laughs> I mean the Close Encounters is one of my I am a space freak and I I think Close Encounters and Contact are there such and I'm not a religious person, but they're such spiritual spiritual films in a way that they really infu- they're infused with hope that there is something beyond, and there's a quest in all of us, and that 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 call that we all get, and some people are, some people want to stay, some people would go, and it's a re- we had this conversation on the set um, many many times with Richard and with all the crew, like the hell, you know what would. He- you know, what would you, because it's a really fun atmosphere on our set. And I said, what would you do? You know, would you go and Richard and I go, yeah, we go. And then I go, well, I'm really claustrophobic. And, you know, I'm asthmatic and I'd be a bit scared. But I really want to go. And Richard would go, I'd go like a shot. And then other people would say, well, I wouldn't go. So we then obviously invariably led to close encounters and, you know, what happened afterwards. And then Barney, um, Richie Lawrence would say, you know, he'd only just catching up because he's 12. He was 11 <laughs> when he was shooting the movie. So it was, um, I mean, I would love, a sequel to Close Encounters <laughs> because I want to know what happened. But but in a way, it, and it was no, it, it, you know, we, and funnily enough, never used it as a reference. But, but you know, because when you're pitching a film, you have to come up with loads of references. And, you know, Cocoon was one mm. and, 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 and E.T. in a funny way and in terms of tone because I wanted to make it a very um, a wholesome story. I said, this is not steady, calm, handheld edgy this is there's no edge in this film this is a very traditional film and i want to shoot in in a traditional way because i think it suits the tone of this film and and we talked about what happened to angus when he took off and Mm. richard and i i mean i don't want to ruin it for anybody (laughs) but richard and i had completely different opinions on it but it didn't matter Mm. i said this is what i think happened um, and Richard said, oh, no, I think this. And I said, well, it's fine either way. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I would, God, if Steven Spielberg make a, made a, uh, a sequel to Close Encounters, I'd be the first in the queue to buy a ticket and go and see it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, and Astronaut isn't exactly science fiction in the sense that it's pretty no. plausible as opposed to, you yeah. know, implausible. Um, so thinking of kind of the real world aspects of the film, was it the activities of people like Elon Musk that made you think there's a drama to be explored with the first kind of um, space flight that has tourists on it? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I'm, I, I've read a lot about Elon Musk. I've read a lot about Richard Branson. I've read a lot about these guys who are just trying to go up. And they're trying to go up, not because I think they think, I mean, Elon Musk is a kind of genius. He was a physicist, I think, or it, it, you know, he, he comes from a sort of scientific background. But but 
at the core of these men and, and probably many women, there is this desire, this force in them to to explore and to challenge and to and to achieve. And I I kind of would che- I'm cheering them on. You know, I'm saying, get up there, go and see. You know, go back to the moon, go to Mars. <laughs> let's let's go and search. Um, and it, it, so, you know, I mean, why I just can't write a movie with two people sitting on a park, park bench, I don't know. But it's always huge. The project's huge. You know, there are animals and there's a dog and donkeys and children and, you know, old people and a rocket. And, and But I, I, I admire immensely um, this sense of, um, um, you know, what the word I'm looking for, for not entrepreneur exactly, but for, for the spirit of adventure and mm. spirit of looking beyond and seeing beyond. I really admire it. And actually, so much of the research we did on the film, I mean, I was completely dumb when it came to liquid hydrogen and rocket fuel. I didn't know. <laughs> but I unfortunately had to learn it. I've got a great friend who's a scientist. And he just was, he started this project, this journey with me six years ago. And we, we you know, together we came and I said, you know, it's really funny. My tires, I kept thinking, what could Angus do? What could he do? What was his job? What made him, you know, what makes him the expert? And then it was like serendipity. I kept having a blowout on my car in England. My tires kept, you know, hitting a pothole. Or, and, you know, the AA guy would come out and he monitored. It was about the third time. I said, look, what's going on with these roads? And he said, oh, he said, these roads aren't what they used to be loved. <laughs> and that just got me thinking. So I called up a very famous um, road company and I said, could this, look, I'm writing a movie. And they were so great, they're huge. And I said, Can, could this ever happen? And he said, well, probably it's a bit implausible. But he said, funnily enough, we were called to go to, um, I think it was Dubai or one of the United Arab Emirates states. And uh, we had to relay a racetrack uh, for cars because they had put down a limestone and all the cars were just racing around the track and slipping off. Hmm. And they'd spent millions doing this. And I thought, great, because mistakes happen. They do. So that was, so then of course I had to learn all about porous limestone. Hmm. Oh my God. <laughs> so um, probably I've gone around about answering your question, but um, yeah, it's kind of there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's the thing. I mean, we watch the exploits, um, of people like Elon Musk on the news where their attempts at getting a rocket to leave the Earth and come back again have quite often ended up in failure. So you must think, well, they don't attack exactly cut corners, but there must be points mm. where actually things have gone wrong because they haven't thought things, thought things entirely through. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, time is money in mm. anything, in film, in life, in hospitals, in... And in research, and in and and in space, and mm. I mean, I've read probably fifty books on as returning astronauts, and you know, the Apollo Eleven and the quest to get up to space. Sorry, that's a strong comment. Just ignore it. Um, and and I think it's not that anybody wants to make a mistake. Nobody wants any of the challenger. It was the worst nightmare mm. for everybody involved. But. It, you know that that rush to get time is money thing. That that you know the lone person saying, "Hey, I'm not sure the earrings are quite right." In fact, there were several voices, I believe, um, from the reports I read, saying, "You know what? There were emails and reports going backwards and forwards." And 
just that alone, it's it's plausible that bloody hell have they overlooked what is uh, could happen underneath Mm. a a runway, a newly built runway, because they want to get up. I mean, Richard Branson has just announced he's going to get up within the next six months. He's doing suborbital, so it's not Mm. actually in space, but. And I really want him to get up. He's, he's, he deserves to go up. But, you know, it would never be a deliberate mistake. But mm. mistakes happen all the time. So, yeah. Yeah, indeed. Um, you were born in Canada and then mm. have worked most of your career in Britain as an actress. But mm. now, ironically, have gone back to Canada to make this film. Yeah. Thinking of you know, kind of the different aspects of the self, the one who is the director and the one who is an actress, do you see yourself as a British actress and a Canadian director? <laughs> oh, God, isn't it? <laughs> I, hope, I, I hope I'll be both. Both. I mean, because I worked in Canada as an actor because mm. I went over to do a season at Stratford, Ontario. I uh-huh. had the best time of my life. It was so much fun. And then I did series in Canada and TV and then I went to LA for eight years. Um, and I would love to direct my next one, Nexus. We hope to shoot with Canadian as a Canadian co-pro because I love working in Canada mm. and I love the Canadians. They have been so supportive of me 100%. Um, and I'd like to maybe shoot it in England and then do the post in Canada. Or, or you know, So we're really a real collaboration of two countries. Mm. Um, but, you know, there are, there are a lot of brilliant directors out there and, you know, I'm a warrior and and I realize that, you know, I've started this pretty late, um, but I hope that, you know, I'm a female director and I hope that my stamp of, of trying to tell story is, is, is as strong as anybody else who wants to tell a story. So whether it's here or in Canada, I just be grateful to get the next one away. I'm just, I'm entirely grateful that this happened. Mm. It was luck and a lot of hard work on my producer's point. And just absolutely never giving up. So anybody out there who may be wanting to make a movie, I mean, just don't give up. Mm. Well, I suppose there's that old adage of uh, you're only as good as your last film. And uh, your most recent short was an award winner. Uh, Astronaut is a really good film. So I suppose it doesn't matter uh, how old you are. It's actually your calling card is just your most recent work. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's sort of like, it's weird, though, because you can say that as an actor and you go, oh, I wasn't bad in that. I mean, I would think, you know, God, I can't bear anything. I watch anything I do. But, but you know, there are a million, billion great directors out there and a million, billion great storytellers. So it, it, it's, you know, it's a jostle and a fight for position. And you just hope that that your voice can be heard amongst the others mm. and, and that somebody will listen. And say, you know, your particular, I tend to write, um, you know, I loved as growing up John Wyndham. I I was Mm. a massive fan of Robert Heinlein. This sort of, I tend to write, and I was encouraged at university to write. So I write sort of of the normal world and something slightly strange is happening. Um, And and that seems to be maybe my genre. And it's not. Too, I mean, I'm always buying books saying, oh, that's so up my cup of tea. Um, I'm probably not going to be a great crime writer, but, 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 you know, hopefully we all have voices and we all want to tell stories and, and literally we can all be heard, I, I hope. Mm. Um, for your average punter in Britain, obviously you're very well known for being in the likes of Holby City and Doctors. Mm. Was there a certain inevitability that the small part you took in Astronaut would be a medical one? <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, I wanted, I wanted a much bigger part. Mm. I mean, I really <laughs> did. Like that. The weirdest thing is that shooting that little scene, I was terrified because <laughs> you, it's, it, you know, you, you've got directing this whole, I don't know. I, one day I would like to give myself a bigger role, but I don't know whether I ever will because every single fiber of your being is involved behind the camera. You know, you're, you're answering a million questions, you're thinking every, and suddenly I had to make that weird switch. Mm. And actually the first take, nobody knows this, but I'll tell you, <laughs> um, is not a secret anymore. The first take, I was so sort of confused. I was walking, I literally, I turned away from him to leave the scene and I cracked my head. There was this sort of, oh, no. and I just walked straight into the wall and I thought, Oh God! Um, you know, maybe I can't do this, but yeah, it's uh, it was it was funny. But no, I, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe never say never. But you know, I mean, it, I just wanted to be in a great scene with Richard Dreyfuss. And that, was, <laughs> that was nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned John Wyndham, and mm. uh, David Rose has a supernatural kind of flavour to it as well. Mm. Will your next feature be something that's more explicit, explicitly genre based? Yeah, um, Nexus is hopefully fingers crossed. Uh, it's my next one, and um, uh, it's um, much more sci-fi. I mean, mm. it's about an, a returning astronaut who um, has encountered something in space, and she comes back to Earth, and uh, she's got eleven-year-old twins and a husband, and she can't reconnect to them, and she struggles, you know, to be a mum, to be a wife, mm. and to be a normal Earthling again, and. Uh, she gets the call and she just wants to go back up. And so it's this dance between where do she, where does she belong? So there is the sci-fi element of being up in space. Um, you know, budget will dictate, so it will be eked out. But it is, but again, it's that domestic setting with a sci-fi element. So mm. it's, it's a weird sort of hybrid. And I, um, you know, I've written, I'm working on another project at the moment called The Visit. And, and it's very strange and but it's about a mother and a daughter a 20 year old daughter and her mother and her mother goes missing um so you know and where does she where has she been taken and and so it's just weird i don't know really what to call it i mean it is definitely genre we're going to fantasia next uh, this weekend in montreal which is a genre festival for astronauts mm. i'm so excited because it's a wonderful wonderful festival and we were thrilled we got in um so i think the next one will definitely be more weighted towards sci-fi okay Fantastic. Mm. Cool. Well, I hope um, Astronaut finds the audience it deserves when it gets a wide release in the UK. Oh, thank you. I, I do. I really do. I mean, I, I mean, I hope you liked it. I don't, yeah, I don't, very I, much. I, yeah, I'm really pleased. I, it's, a, it's, you know, the reaction we had at Edinburgh Film Festival was just worth everything to mm. us. The audience will want... They, Edinburgh Film Festival is beautifully run, Everybody at work there was amazing to us, and the audience just were fantastic. And you know, Richard was there, and they gave him a standing ovation. And it just really was lovely to see people watching a movie. And I don't think astronaut is necessarily for filmmakers. I think you know, if you put, I don't want to talk. I, I love it. I'm so proud of it. But it's a story, and it's a story for people. Mm. And it's not going to be an edgy, dark exploration of miserable old age it's not i wanted it to be full of mischief and joy and 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 moments of levity and so i you know i it was great to have that reaction that we had to see it you know 
with an audience who responded really, really well to it. So fingers crossed it, um, it, it, you know, it finds an audience over here. Yeah, yeah. great. Great. Well, Alex, it's been lovely. Nice question. Oh, thank you. Astronaut, directed by Sheila McLeod, is due to be released in UK cinemas later this year. So keep an eye on SheilaMcLeod.com. That's S-H-E-L-A-G-H-M-C-L-E-O-D.com for more information about the film's cinema release. To play out the first half of the show, here's Rilo Kiley about the moon. just heard was About the Moon by Rilo Kylie, as the theme of this month's episode is Astronauts, Rockets and Travelling in Space, to celebrate the 50th anniversary of The Moon Landing. 
Coming up, we have a trio of interviews recorded at this year's Sci-Fi London Film Festival, with three movies that all deal with the potential of leaving the Earth as the people on the ground see rockets taking the last survivors of some oncoming apocalypse off-planet, or in the case of The Last Land, a prisoner and a disgruntled prison guard escape in a rocket to outer space and then have to work out where they're going to go next. To start off with, I'm talking to the director, Fint, about his film Phonotune, an electric fairy tale. In this stylish movie, which is as much about music and landscapes as it is the launch of rockets which accompany a forthcoming apocalypse, various young characters, disenfranchised with the world, wander a brutalist landscape listening to eclectic radio stations through their oversized headphones. Pitched halfway between Mad Max and Jean-Luc Godard's Weekend, this is a film as much about design and soundscapes as it is human behaviour, and I'm talking to the director, Fint, about all of these elements of his movie. That was a film that it makes me feel that the, the visuals came first in terms of, you know, when you were thinking of, you know, moving into making your first feature. Do you think in terms of visuals and then work out how do I fit this into a greater sort of framework? That's an awesome question because actually um, I also did before my first feature film, like documentaries, music videos and all. Mm. And I always start with the logo. Right. <laughs> and um, then there's the name and then I'm like, hey, that's a good logo. What can I make mm. with for the logo <laughs> yeah. so it's kind of like the other way around like i the whole design the whole mood the whole um feeling is um always there first mm. um and then i um look how can i can i feel this ideas this this world so yeah Which could could also be like a bad thing of course but um <laughs> yeah that's my my way of doing it i guess mm. So you designed all of the kind of fonts and logos we see on screen as um, well? Yeah, mainly, but with, yeah. with help from other designers as well. Like, I, I was, like, graphic designer for 10 years before uh-huh. I did, like, film stuff. Um, but um, I ask other designers that I look up to mm. if they can help me. Because, like, if I would... I'm never satisfied with myself, so mm. it took 10 years to make the movie anyway. So wow. <laughs> yeah, better to ask somebody to to do stuff so that I can't change it anymore. <laughs> the um, locations were amazing, the salt flats, the kind of brutalist landscapes. How long did it take you to find the environment that you wanted to shoot in? Um, now, finding the idea didn't took long because, okay. uh, you know, again, I, I can't ask you to not let us leave the room, but <laughs> um, yeah, I know that I wanted to shoot in Tokyo and I know that I wanted sure. to shoot in the salt flats. Um, because, um, like, we also had, like, this very clear color scheme mm. in the movie. Like, um, it's very monochromatic without taking colors out. It's, like, all the real colors, but there's no green, no red, or whatever. Sure. Um, and I also wanted that the salt flats are kind of, like, um, the opposite of the city, but mm. still look the same visually. Like, sure. down is gray or white, and up is blue. Um, so it didn't took long to figure it out. Mm but it took forever to get it done. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Because, um, I mean, maybe, um, I don't know if you know it, but the whole movie is kind of made by ourselves. Like, mm. it's not like um, over all the years, like 
financed with own money, and I mean there was money coming in from from different sources at some point, but um, the whole origin was like in the living room, never expecting to be playing in the Prince Charles <laughs> cinema. <laughs> nice. Um, in terms of your influences, there seems to be kind of a lot of early Godard going on and the oh. French New Wave. And, and obviously one of the characters is wearing a big Kahuna t-shirt, so maybe a little bit of Tarantino as well. Um, the big Kahuna t-shirt? Um, I didn't want that. <laughs> okay. Um, I won't because, tell anyone. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm honestly like, when I was a kid getting into film, Tarantino was the person who opened stuff up for me. Mm. Like when it was like, oh, you can... Because I had, like, my VHS collection was, like, Forrest Gump and The Lion King. <laughs> and then I saw, like, Pulp Fiction. I was like, oh, you can do other stuff? What? <laughs> and then he, and then Tarantino was the one who said, oh, my favorite movie is uh, Chucky Express. You should watch wow. it. And then I watched Chucky, and then I, then I was gone. Um, so I owe him a lot uh, in, in terms of, of that. That's why I'm okay with the mm. T-shirt. But, um, <laughs> but it was, uh, Kasushi was wearing it. Um, the, the actor, yeah. who's also a director in, in Japan, and uh, he was Mr. Q in the Takashi Miike movie, um, and he was wearing it privately on that day. Hmm. And um, our costume had him like a different t-shirt, but it didn't look as good as hmm. his t-shirt. Uh. So um, we said, okay, we like low-budget movie, let's just roll with it. Hmm. Um, but then when we shoot later in the salt flats again, hmm. he didn't have a t-shirt anymore. And we couldn't get the exactly same one, so mm. we had to rebuild it. And oh no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, and then we also tried to um, reach the Weinstein Company mm. um, because we had to license it. But then, then there was uh, luckily the Mitch stuff happening, so we didn't have to ask him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Every cloud. <laughs> um, yeah, and <laughs> and in terms of Godard, um, I mean, I guess, I mean, of course, like 2001 Godard, mm. I think everybody has that in his movie at some mm. point. Um, I don't, I can't put my finger on it, what mm. what exactly was like Godard, but, but yeah, I think the whole f freely working mm. with all that was, was, and of course, Juho's style it's mm. a masculine, feminine, the Godard mm. movie, mm. like Chantal Goya's first style. So. Nice. I think she doesn't know that. <laughs> um, the film is kind of a blank canvas in a way in terms of what we interpret it as. I mean, for me, the idea of these characters wandering around who are sort of in their own bubble by listening to their own radio station in time, it makes me feel... Uh, a bit about modern culture, you know, how we all have our own bubbles that we tap into via our smartphones or whatever. Mm. We all have our own kind of narrow vision of culture. Was that one of the things that perhaps you were thinking of? Yeah, of course. Like, um, it is like, um, it's just like a mirror for how, like, in, now everybody's like in the subway on his phone and now these people are like always um, in the headphones and if they, there was one scene we deleted Mm. But there uh, was the scene where Mono and U.S. character Stereo, they were like sitting back to back and she was switching the, her channel to the same he's listening to. Mm. So to have like been close with somebody else, mm. but not in the real world, like in the in the whole digital thinking that mm. we have now. And also like um, Kasushi's character Analog, the guy with the double denim, 
um, I think he's like the he's like the typical um, social media media person who's just going somewhere to take a picture. Mm. He didn't know about blitz and he didn't know about what's actually happening. He was just okay. That sounds cool. I go there, and so yeah, it's it's definitely a little bit of that. Um, but I also want to say, um, which leads back to your very first question about if the visuals were, were first, um, I never wanted to make like a movie that's like, um, like what's in English? Mm. One thing. <laughs> no, like being angry about the society. Oh, and, okay. And, um, Didactic, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it just happened naturally. <laughs> yes. um, and I just, I just like the idea that's, um, which is kind of like Gregoraki based, mm. um, like this nineties feeling of the in the nineties. Everybody was waiting for the apocalypse, mm. but it never came. Yeah. And now we actually like actually maybe close, mm. and nobody cares anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they and, renamed it Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> and. And that's what's happening in the end. Like everybody's just so much in his own world mm. and with his with his own problems um, that he didn't even notice that there's like rockets starting and stuff. And yeah, it's also a fun thing. Like when you say one cloud leads, like um, um, with the whole Trump and mm. um, North Korea thing, it's like really good for us <laughs> um, <laughs> because we worked on the movie like so long and it, mm. it, the whole um, idea was like just based like as a throwback to the nineties. Um mm. but it's not not it's not anymore. Like um stuff like this is happening now and everybody is like has like his own personalized um commercials on his Facebook feed and mm. you don't even know what's happening anymore. Like I, I know it by myself is everything is so personalized. I'm super happy when my normal Spotify account has some commercial that is not tailored for me and like oh a connection to the outside world, like. <laughs> Indeed. Um, does anyone have any questions for the director? Were the songs written before the film? I mean, they were pre-existing, or they were specifically written for the film? They were specifically made for the movie. Like um, preparing for the movie, I did a lot of um, work as a designer for um, record companies and doing music videos for free always saying, give me access to your portfolio when I make my movie. And they did. And then when we were editing, I all of a sudden realized, oh shit, nothing is working. Um, because, you know, the movie is very, it's about flow. Yeah? Sit, sit back, let the movie flow. And But if you have like music that is like pushing, you always wait for the next picture. But you need m music or a mood that wants you to linger with the picture. Um, so it was harder than I expected first. Um, and there was like the band in Berlin called Moderat. I don't I think maybe it's a little bit more known now. Um, and they even offered to make the music and which is like amazing, but their music fits so good hmm. that nothing was there anymore. Hmm. Like it was such a good fit that there was no tension anymore. No, hmm. um, friction, friction again. between friction. the images and the yeah, exactly. Sound. And um, so the uh, the Berlin band stayed total, and we invited them to a screening, and they made like all this um, French-sounding Japanese mm. music, mm. Um, which 
I really like in multiple ways because it fits to the to the mood and the flow of the film, but also because it brings together like Europe and Japanese stuff. So, mm -hmm. like the movie is sort of okay. Yeah, so it's made. Yeah. <laughs> if you divide, if you imagine different styles or genres from the different stations that are mentioned, like for me, a lot of fascination when I'm watching a movie is like not knowing things, not understanding specific things. So um, I know a lot of people who are writing books or movies, they they flesh out everything, like every backstory and all. But for me, that takes away my own fascination to certain things. So for me, I don't, I don't want to know what RR was, only Stereo knows. Hmm. And um, so if I would have an answer for that in my mind, um, it wouldn't be romantic anymore for me. So. <laughs> Have you seen a film called uh, Alcandal's Sage, Birdsong? It was its premiere in Cannes like 10 years ago by Albert Serra. How does that translate? Uh, Birdsong, like uh, some of the birds. Oh, I don't because think I have. I think it's, uh, thematically very different, but they are very, I mean, they, sh they share a lot of things. So mm -hmm. maybe you should see. We should program that double bill. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I've got a quick question. Why 104.4 is the frequency? Um, because four is my favorite number. It's just that that and is my, the station. And my license plate was one four four in the car. So I'm not that deep. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, any other questions? Yep, at the back. Uh, I read that you were very influenced by a lot of Japanese and you talked a bit about sort of films in particular that you had in mind when developing this. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> Um, I mean, it's always like a um, a weird thing with the influences because you start with an influence, but then it quickly becomes um, a lot of your own thing. Um, I think a lot of people um, compare Phonotune to THX from George Lucas, which I can totally understand why. But actually, I didn't saw the movie till I was halfway done with Phonotune. I just watched it out of curiosity, and I was like, oh, shit, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> um, so, um, but with the Japanese cinema, yeah, um, a lot of what I said before of the not understanding specific things um, that makes the fascination for me, that comes a lot from the Japanese cinema because the whole way of the communication um, as a foreigner Mm. there's like this wall that you that you don't really can get into it but that makes you feel like um, put your own perspective to it mm. and I always um, loved it so much that's why the idea with Phonotune was like make the Japanese movie as a European so that the Europeans and the Japanese people both have this kind of foreign mm. weirdness to it um, yeah but uh, I think one of my favorite movies is like a scene at the sea from Takeshi Kitano and it's about like um, a surfer who finds like a surfboard in the, in the garbage and um, he's like deaf and mute yeah. and so the whole movie is like just um, told with with movements or looks mm. or, or just how through the directing and um, yeah that's always touches me a lot because it's a, like a visual media mm. so um I think 
I mean, I love Kevin Smith movies, but you can also write the same thing as a book, mm. and it works also pretty fine. Um, <laughs> that doesn't. It's not meant in a bad way. I yeah, also like. Way. I also like With talking about. But um, as a graphic designer, I was like, okay, uh, I'm um, very much drawn to movies that are told visually, but still tell something mm. cute or emotional and stuff. And so there was also like a balance that we really want to have that um, even if everything is slick and all, I still want that the heart is in the right place and that there's like people can see the cuteness in it a little bit, hopefully. Um, yeah, but yeah, um, I think early Kitano was also like a reference when we were like working on the colors and stuff. We always showed the guy at Ari like all Kitano stuff and he was like, what? Don't you want to make it like awesome? Like, no, make it like this. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, a limited palette can be awesome too. Um, we've got wait, time. wait, so one, 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 one Japanese thing now. Yeah, biggest thing is like the anime FLCL. Mm. I don't know if anybody knows it, but um, I guess that's pretty obvious if you know it, um, because we also were in contact. Like even one logo design is based on one of their designs. And but we asked them, and um, and then Bubblegum on the Vespa is like a is like a direct homage to it. Mm. And I also asked one of the composers to make her song playing when she appears, very similar to one song from the Pillows in the FLCL series. So, mm. yeah. nice. Um, we've got time for one last question. Yeah. The soundtrack, obviously, you already said was written after the film was made, mm. and it just feels so inherent within my. Yeah, um, I have to say, like, when we, when I got stuff back from Stereo Total, it was like actually super emotional for me because I was like, oh shit, they really understand the movie, <laughs> and they sometimes even compose to my edit. Hmm. So that means I couldn't edit stuff um, <laughs> that I actually wanted to edit. <laughs> um, um, but like the when the when they have like connection to the radio again in the end where she's like dancing on the car um, they made this like super last minute because we and I said can you give me something like high point emotional and he's like a few hours later he sent me this and I was like literally like not no not kidding I was like crying because um, I felt so respected and like he, how much he get it and I was like oh man and that I was like the audience at this moment, I was seeing it and I was saying, oh, that's awesome. And I was like, oh. So, like, so yeah, they um, they should be standing here with me as co-director. Yeah. And not now. Everybody asks. Um, we, should, we should maybe get into that. <laughs> Finn, thank you very much. Thank you. For more information about Phonotune, an electric fairy tale, please go to facebook.com stroke Phonotune. That's F-O-N-O-T-U-N-E. Next, I'm talking to director Alim Hossein about his low-budget American film, After We Leave, which imagines a world not unlike our own, where the rich and fortunate can escape a dying earth, and the people left behind are subject to a lottery for a place on the final ships leaving the planet. 
The movie imagines a man coming back to the city where he once lived to partially atone for his crimes and also to find his long-lost wife to offer her a place on one of the spaceships about to leave the planet. The sci-fi elements were quite subtle but were utterly convincing to let the audience know that this is a science fictional world, that it is a different Earth from the one we know either because of changes in the past or sometime in the future. But thinking of the kind of genre that this film uh, exists in, what it made me think of was sort of a cross between uh, The Leftovers, the uh, film, uh, the book and TV series, and then one of those kind of narratives about a retired gunslinger coming back to his hometown after many years apart. Were those the kind of uh, references you were thinking of? Yeah, for sure. Uh, the biggest influence was a lot of recent, like, American independent cinema. Like, what if, like, Winter's Bone with Jennifer Lawrence was a sci-fi movie? <laughs> okay. You know, like, what if we could take sort of a gritty movie rooted in a specific place about people, mm. but set in the future? I don't see that done a lot. I mean, there are definitely examples. I'm not the first one, uh, but that's the kind of film I want to make. And for sure, yeah, Westerns and the idea of the West was heavily on my mind, for sure. Mm. But also in terms of something like The Leftovers, which is all about... If 10% of the population vanished in an instant, how would the survivors cope? This is, what if 10% of the population was given a chance to have a better life? How would the survivors cope? Exactly, and that actually comes from uh, my own personal life. Uh, I'm mixed race. My uh, mother is a sort of white American. My father's from Bangladesh. And so I've seen my relatives in Bangladesh. Like, it is a strange and life-warping thing when you can get one of a few tickets to come to like a better life. Mm. And I was thinking about that distinctly, like, what does it mean when you have a shot at that? What does it do to your life? Uh, but I wanted to set it in a, an American context uh, uh, and think about it that way. Mm. Um, and also, I was looking at your uh, filmography so far, and you worked on, to use the IMDb description, uh, a gritty cop show set in LA. So I guess some of that uh, realism about the depiction of crime and its impact was something that you also brought to this movie. For sure. I think um, all different kinds of depictions of violence that are valid. Like, I'm not one who thinks that over the top, you know, stylistic violence, but I like it all. But I have a special, like, I, I especially feel connected to the idea that violence is often mundane and awkward and then terrible as well. And I wanted to see that again in a sort of science fiction context. Mm. In terms of um, the way that the story unfolds, it's really interesting that you've chosen to actually cut parts of the story out that in other movies might be the entire focus, like the heist that we never see, the MacGuffin that they're stealing and how it works. Um, I guess that obviously makes us focus on the human story. But when you were kind of discussing the film with other people... (laughs) Were you told, this is crazy, this isn't how you write a story? It would have been if I had made this movie in the context of needing some sort of outside financing. Mm. Uh, and the story of this film was I wanted to make a movie where those scenes weren't here. We see those scenes, and actually Big Hollywood does those scenes very well, mm. as you're sort of alluding to. I made this movie for under $40,000, the entire film. And, um, uh, and I think that the reason that that's an accomplishment is not like, oh, wow, we did it, but honestly, because I think it's a model to be able to tell different kinds of sci-fi stories, to sort of make a statement that sci-fi doesn't just belong to the big movies. And, and like Louis, I like those big movies too, but I really I wanted to sort of, you know, there's a line in the movie where Jack literally says, let's just skip all that, the part where it goes bad between the two parties, and I was like, because I, I do want to skip all that, I know that scene. 
Mm. In fact, I think it's been done very well in many movies. And so, yeah, I was kind of trying to make a movie where we skipped a lot of the scenes we see a lot of, so we'd have more time for character and world alone. Mm. I mean, I kind of think of the movie as sort of my argument for what can a certain kind of like white male protagonist actually learn in a movie? Uh, uh, you know, and like, and what can a certain kind of person? How much can they actually change? I think that's a fine line, and actually, I bet some people would disagree. Maybe I went too far, but I wanted to find that line between what is enough to drive home. Yep, in this movie, he loses that finger, mm. uh, but then not go beyond that. Mm. The inspiration for this movie came like a, among many. I just had that image of him appear, of him looking a, a man. Just in my head appeared. I mean, he was looking at someone. I knew it was his wife. It was his wife. I didn't know anything else about it, but I, I was asking myself this question. I remember I was in traffic on Wilshire Boulevard and I like, had a stoplight. And I saw this face in my mind. And I just, a question I didn't understand came, which was, has he changed? Hmm. And I didn't know what it meant at the time. And as I thought about the movie, I sort of decided that this is the most he can do. Uh, that this is the movie I think about a guy who learns just enough to know he can't be any better. Hmm. That that's the amount of better he gets. Hmm. Because I suppose, in a way, uh, while he doesn't offer her a better life in the off-world colonies, he has protected her from the bad yes. guys, at least. Like a lot of independent cinema these days, obviously you were reliant on crowdfunding, as we can see from the uh, list of Kickstarter supporters um, in the credits. When you were kickstarting the film, were there stretch goals that you met, or did you get just the right amount that you needed to make the movie? I was in a fortunate position. I mean, first of all, I had several key collaborators who worked basically for free or almost nothing. At the, at the end of production, where I wouldn't owe anybody anything, and I wouldn't have to make any decisions because of money. I had been on bigger shoots, I had done bigger projects, and there's always a moment in the day where you have two choices. Like, the easy shot that you know will work, but it's kind of boring, or the shot where you get up at 5 a.m. and hope that shadow of that staircase is going to be there that day. Hmm. And I actually went back three days to get that shadow, you know? And I did that because the movie was so cheap, and I could. And I think, so I knew I wanted to make it super cheap. The crowdfunding came at the end. I barely got into post-production. I spent maybe $12,000 to finish production. Hmm. And, then, and then I crowdfunded. Uh, and I had, I mean, I don't know how many of you have crowdfunded. It's a surprisingly emotional experience. Like, it's basically like, this is your life. Like, every single person in the world who cared about me, I, I asked for like six, $7,000, and I got $18,000. And I needed it in the end. Like to do the post, that was not as cheap. It, it's hard to get those discounts. The, color, the guy who color graded this, color graded the last three David Fincher movies, he cut me a great deal, but I still had to pay him money. And so, yeah, it, we, but, but really, I never had to like really sell the goals. To be honest, I had very few Kickstarter backers I didn't know, at least a little bit. Like most people, I just pitched, I was like, look, I want, I've always wanted to make a feature. I made it. Here's like a trailer, here's the raw footage. I just need a little bit more. Uh, and people came out and, uh, I think literally like spending the money to apply to festivals like this was like the last dollars of that Kickstarter campaign. Wow, okay. <laughs> and I guess it's the best way of kickstarting something that you've yeah. pretty much got all the footage in the can and all you need to do is polish it. Because I, I kickstart a lot of comics and I'd be much more inclined to kickstart one where I know actually it's being drawn and written and they just need the money yeah. to bind it and publish it. So at least if you have footage that you can show to people, it's just like that final push. It's like. George Lucas sitting in with the execs at Fox where he's cut together Star Wars with old black and white right. dogfighter footage. And if you believe in me, I can make a sci-fi film. No, and, and I think that's why these models of like, how can you find like, what is the movie you can make at least to get done with production or some production, no matter how modest that is. 
I feel like you're way more successful because then people can see the vision. You can talk passionately, uh, uh, and that's important, but I think, yeah, being able to see something really helped me for sure. After We Leave, directed by Aleem Hussain, won the best film at this year's Sci-Fi London Film Festival. And you can find more about the movie by going to www.afterweleave.com. In the last of the trio of recordings from this year's Sci-Fi Film Festival, I'm talking to director Marcel Barion, production designer Johannes Bard, and assistant director Carolyn Ucht about their film The Last Land. This movie begins on the surface of a storm-ridden, dusty planet as a prisoner finds an abandoned spaceship with one of his captors not far behind. The two of them leave the world that they've been stuck on and now in space, on the run from the authorities, have to work out where to go. It's a film that's kind of asking questions about who we are, where we're going, what's going on in the universe. Um, I expect that if I was to ask you any questions that would answer the questions this film asks, you wouldn't that answer wouldn't them. be a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is obviously a film that's carried by two actors who have to act in a small, intimate space together over a number of days. Presumably they got on well with each other and there were no fistfights on set. <laughs> um, fistfights, I remember no fistfights, but um, yeah, but uh, you're right. We had this um, really small set. It's mm. as small as you notice, as you have seen in the movie. And it was, um, um, yeah, it was closed. Mm. We went in it. And uh, shut the door. The door was the the cupboard. You saw the cupboard. <laughs> where there was the door, and um, then we were um, yeah we were in it, and we were just um, the two actors and me and the camera and the sound uh, operator and yeah and um, maybe uh, sometimes a, a fifth person to do something mm. and who has to hide when. <laughs> when uh, we were shooting somewhere um, yeah and therefore it was really intense intense um, <coughs> working yeah yeah how, how long was the shoot the shooting uh, took just uh, two weeks or two yeah. and a half weeks and then and then some some pickups after yeah. that because so, yeah. obviously if it is in just one location and it is quite dialogue heavy yeah um, did you do it in sequence, just so that you could keep track of where you were in the script? Um, we shot uh, chronologically, yeah. uh, and so that they could uh, we, we could um, the beginning of each day we could remember what we have done the last day, and we could uh, talk it through, and um, um, and and the two actors always knew how how big how high the uh, filthy level was, <laughs> <laughs> or or how low, how how, how high, uh, and yeah, and uh, I think that was a, we could do that because we ha only had this one set, and and this set uh, still is there, so we 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 didn't have um, uh, time um, problems or so, but we. Um, Although we had to shoot in in uh, in these uh, couple of, of days because of the time frame from our from our, from from one one of the actors, yeah. so uh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. 
How long did it take to apply the right level of grime and sweat to them, or did they just not wash? For no, the they, they did it them, themselves. Yeah, you're right. There are some. Yeah, there are some uh, some shots where this is not only um, uh, what's the word? I'm German. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Spray on spray. It's, no, it's not. Yeah, we had this um, uh, artificial sweat and yeah. the artificial um, dirt. But sometimes um, the, the rings under the eyes were, were real. The cave system at the end, presumably, yeah. is a, a natural location. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's a combination, combination of, of uh, miniature shots mm. of a cave we, we built, uh, and obviously a real cave, yeah, uh, where you see the, the actor going through it, then it's a real cave. Yeah, where we come from, in the middle of Germany, somewhere between Cologne and Frankfurt, we have caves. <laughs> so it's nothing special for us. Uh, it's, there are, the, you can go in there and it's, uh, it's okay. So. But you, do, you must do it at night in order to um, have the ability of uh, lighting as you as you want it, lighting it as you as you want. Yeah. And did you have some experience in the cave in your formative years that you thought this is like the entrance to hell? I want to make a movie here one day. It's yeah. It's you know uh, this the I I shot a, I shot another movie mm. and it was also uh, set up in uh, some some of the shots were in were in a cave and we knew this cave. Mm. But for this movie, we were searching uh, mm. um, a lot of different caves and at the end we came back to this one uh, so it has it has it has this this past yeah but yeah i don't know it, it's it maybe it does something to you when you have caves all around it uh, yeah. all depends on the signal yeah. um i thought the not only the set design but also the uh design of the exterior of the ship and that kind yeah. of floating upside down city in space were terrific yeah. um who was the designer on the movie yeah, we did it. Uh, Johannes, du kannst auch mal kommen. This is the man. He did all those other stuff. Uh, we did it together, and we had some other guys. Um, uh, but we're only a, f a few, a few people. Um, and it, I don't know if, if you know that it, it was all practical. It, there is no no single CG shot in the movie. Yeah. Uh, okay, you didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. This is important. I think that's important. Um, yeah. So the um, yeah the the spaceship is uh, like like this. Okay. In real, a model. For the, for the benefit of the recording, that's about three feet across. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And the and the city in space. How big was that? Yeah, it was. Uh, could you show it? Yeah, it's uh, like this. Yeah. Okay, about four by four by. Five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we and it was shot upside down. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was shot upside down, and it's uh, the packaging of a uh, kitchen oven, right? Oh, so don't, spoil, don't spoil the illusion. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's important because uh, it's not only a practical effects movie, but also a low budget or no budget movie. So we uh, spent around 20,000 euros uh, for all what you've seen here. That's wow. not that much, I think. We used everything we could get our hands on, so like um, yeah, the whole set is uh, built out of waste, of, of scrap, wow. scrap metal, and uh, e-waste, and uh, all those stuff. 
Yeah. Well, that, hopefully that'll be inspirational for anyone in the <laughs> audience who might be thinking of making a movie. Um, my German barely runs to ordering a beer, but I did notice the word crowdfunding in the credits. Yeah. So could you talk a little bit about, about funding the movie? Yeah, so um, when we started uh, talking about this uh, film, it was around 2011, so quite a long time ago. And um, yeah, we were talking about this film, we were making plans and... Uh, Finally, in 2012, we started buying an old, uh, what's it called, a trailer. What, what, what that was put behind a tractor, tractor trailer, okay. an old tractor trailer, uh, and that should be the start of the of the set of the spaceship uh, interior. <laughs> uh, and uh, then everything got more serious. So, in 2012, we started really building the set, um, but only using scrap and stuff we could get our hands on. Um, but after one and a half years, we, re we realized hmm, if we keep doing it that way, we will take another 10 years to just build the set. And uh, yeah, so we um, started looking for money. And uh, sci-fi in, in Germany is really not a common thing. So I think uh, David here knows uh, Raumpatrouille Orion, so Spaceship Orion. That's the only German sci-fi, roughly, so um, after Fritz Lang. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's really hard to get uh, money for for a sci-fi movie. Um, so the natural thing was to look for uh, yeah more um, untrodden paths of financing, yeah. and then we look for crowdfunding. Um, isn't it called crowdfunding? In yeah, no, it is. Yeah, it's just okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> that, that's because yeah. the word's the same. I was able to. Ah, read okay. It. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and that was quite successful. So we. Yeah started looking for eight and a half thousand euros because we thought, yeah, that's, that's quite enough. We've never had so much money to do a movie that must, must be okay. And fortunately, uh, <laughs> we got about 15,000 and uh, another 5,000 from other sources. And that was what was, uh, we were working with. So no one got paid for anything. So the actors did it for free. Um, yeah, all the editing uh, and post-production was done by Marcel himself. Um, yeah, and everyone just volunteered and tried to make this possible. Yeah. Wow. And now you can stay in the set via Airbnb. Um, does anyone uh, in the audience have any questions? Uh, at the back? Go on, Martin. Yeah. Can, can she uh, tell to everyone the story about the pancake? Oh, yeah. Come yeah, here. Please. So this is the assistant director, Yeah, you have to imagine. Um, here's the pancake. Right. Here's the camera, and there is the lighting. So, and then, yeah, and then when you, when you have the, the right angle, then it's a landscape. It's it's a, uh, it's it's um, you know you saw the, the, the this, uh, rocky desert at the beginning of the, and and also in the end it, it's uh, yeah it, it was used. Um, Several times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have you ever had a model treat experience involving a pancake? <laughs> it was just a, a real, uh, yeah, a fortunate coincidence. Uh, like, like uh, always. Yeah, we, yeah. Uh, yeah. When we, when you're doing a movie like this and, and in this way, 
um, you start looking at things differently. So <laughs> we all, to this day, have uh, have an eye for for waste. Yeah, like you see a trash, uh, a heap of trash, and you see, oh, that could look good there, and then ah, oh no, no, we finished the spaceship. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that certain. Uh, Yeah, that certain way of looking at things that stays. <laughs> cool. Yeah. 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 And not also not not also the look, also the sound of things, yeah. because it the sound um, design was made, um, yeah, equally like the pictures. Yeah. 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 yeah um, the sound design. Um, um, all the sounds you hear were not there, obviously, uh, in spite of the um, apart from the, um, the talking, mm. of course. Um, so every sound had to be recorded, and yeah, maybe, uh, uh, for example, um, I I once recorded bees humming, humming the humming of bees, uh, and only used the low frequencies of it um, for this um, soundscape. Is that the right word? Soundscape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Soundscape uh, of in the golden planet when he goes through the caves. There's this this um, yeah a soundscape, and yeah, it's just bees. For example, yeah. It's just yeah. bees. Yeah. Um. <laughs> right at the end, Adam chooses between two sets of coordinates. One of them is like very soberly and sensibly written on a piece of paper with a pen. The other one is scrawled on a wall <laughs> with a big bit of metal. Do you think he made the right choice? <laughs> In your mind, did he make the right choice? The only thing what I could say, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he goes for the paper one. So yeah, he goes for the. He, he, cho he made the right choice, but yeah, maybe. But, and he also goes for the one which is connected to a picture. Yeah, yeah. This is also in, important. So he that he have he has um, a kind of proof. proof yeah. yeah, kind of proof <coughs> for, for that. Well, yeah, but he, it's he, just he, a big black blob. So yeah, yeah. Uh, it it it, it <laughs> can be that there is no Earth anymore. It's truly possible that he <laughs> won't find anything. But it's not sad. It's yeah. not. It's hope. not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's hope. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> thank For more information about Das Land, the last land, please go to dasleetsterland.de. That's D A S L E T Z T E. L-A-N-D dot D-E. The three films from Sci-Fi London that you've just heard my interviews with the director and members of the crew, Phonotune, An Electric Fairy Tale, After We Leave, and The Last Land, were all chosen by the BFI as examples of movies from this year's Sci-Fi Film Festival worth looking at. You can read their roundup of this trio of movies by going to tinyurl.com stroke SFL Reviews. You can find more information about After We Leave by going to afterweleave.com. You can find Phonotune, an electric fairy tale, by going to phonotune, that's F-O-N-O-Tune.com. And for more information about Sci-Fi London in general, please go to sci-fi-london.com. And you can find more information about the Electric Sheep Film Show and Electric Sheep Magazine by going to electricsheepmagazine.co.uk. This episode was the last in the current series, 
But for more information about future Electric Sheep events, podcasts and broadcasts, follow eSheep Magazine on Twitter. The Electric Sheep Film Show was recorded, edited and introduced by Alex Fitch and is a Panel Borders production. And to play out today's programme, continuing our theme of space travel and astronauts, you're going to hear the dulcet tones of a bona fide astronaut as Commander Chris Hadfield performs Space Oddity by David Bowie. Thanks for listening. Ground control to Major Tom Ground control to Major Tom Lock your Soyuz hatch and put your helmet on Ground control to Major Tom Commencing countdown engine falls on Three, two, detach from station And may God's love be with you This program has been brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you liked what you heard and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm.